Hello and welcome back to the 90s Galore podcast. I am your host Andy Zaldivar and once again I'm so thrilled to be here with you tonight to take a trip back in time to cover another fabulous 90s band. But before we get started, I always want to take the time to thank you the listeners for tuning in and whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Radio Public or whatever platform you're on, I'm extremely delighted that you've joined me tonight as I profile another 90s artist. We definitely have something special in store for you tonight. This band hails from Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City. A very unique sound indeed. I mean, when you hear this band, I mean, you just know who, who you're listening to. You know who they are immediately. And especially that voice. The voice is so original, so distinguished. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'm talking about the Smashing Pumpkins, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. The Smashing Pumpkins formed in 1988 by Billy Corgan, who was on lead vocals and guitar, Darcy Retzky on bass, James Hyha on guitar, and Jimmy Chamberlain on the drums. Now, this band has gone through many lineup changes since its inception, but the members that I just mentioned are the original founding members, and they were formed after Billy Corgan, who was in St. Petersburg, Florida at the time, left his gothic rock band called the marked they actually had broken up and he decided to head back to his native chicago where he gained employment at a record store now while working at this record store he meets a guitarist by the name of james iha and they hit it off and start writing songs that were heavily influenced by the cure and new order and with the help of a drum machine they performed live for the first time on july 9th 1988 at the polish bar chicago 21 Corgan was on bass and Iha on guitar. And a short time afterward, they, they meet Darcy Redsky at a Dan Reed Network show, which was a band out of Portland, Oregon. And Darcy subsequently joins the band, and now they have a trio. They play together as a trio for the first time at the Avalon Club in Chicago. And soon after this, a guy by the name of Joe Shanahan recruits the trio to play at his club called Cabaret Metro on one condition that they drop the drum machine and find a real drummer. So they set out to find a drummer, but I just want to quickly point out that Joe Shanahan is known as one of the big supporters of Smashing Pumpkins early on in their history. So, and he's also the honor, uh, excuse me, the owner of several other popular Chicago establishments. So this was a, uh, this gig was actually a big deal for them, right? And Billy Corgan was referred to jazz drummer Jimmy Chamberlain by a friend of his and apparently J- Chamberlain didn't know much about alternative rock but he quickly grew chemistry with his new bandmates and now the band was complete and Corgan was quoted about Chamberlain's playing ability saying quote it took about two to three practices before I realized that the power in his playing was something that enabled us to rock harder than we could ever have imagined unquote And on October 5th, 1988, the complete band plays together for the first time on stage at the Cabaret Metro. In 1989, the Smashing Pumpkins make their first appearance on a record on the compilation album Light Into Dark, which featured several other Chicago area alternative rock bands. And on May 28th, 1991, they released their debut studio album called Gish through Caroline Records. 
The album was named after silent film actress Lillian Gish, and it's co-produced by Billy Corgan and famed producer Butch Vig, also known for being the drummer of the alternative rock band by the name of Garbage. You may have heard them. Uh, they had some big hits late late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and he also produced some album called Nevermind by some group called uh, Nirvana. I don't know, that sounds kind of familiar. What do you think? <laughs> Anyways... They record the album in Vig's Studios, which he calls Smart Studios, in Madison, Wisconsin, for a budget of $20,000. The album peaks at number 195 on the Billboard 200. However, it does attain certified platinum status by the Recording Industry Association of America. And the first single released from Gish is Siva in August of 1991. The single didn't take the world by storm. This is because the song was... Uh, Probably because the song was released uh, as a single only in the UK and Australia. And it's also interesting to point out that Billy Corgan thought of the guitar riff for Siva while working at the record store in Chicago. It was their uh, second single, Rhinoceros, that really catapulted the Smashing Pumpkins into the spotlight for Gish. It's, uh, it's released in April 1991 and peaks at number 27 on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. Rhinoceros remains one of their most popular songs and the video is featured on their greatest hits video compilation. So now Smashing Pump, Pump, ooh, excuse me, Pumpkins are, are becoming well known, um, solidifying their fan base. They re-released the single I Am One, which had previously been released on their EP called LOL, that's L-U-L-L. But they release it once again on Gish. Both versions are nearly identical and there's a video for I Am One that wasn't released until 2001 because the band was unhappy with the result. So, Gish ultimately gains critical success as Rolling Stone magazine calls it, quote, awe-inspiring and meticulously calculated energy, unquote. So the band has now released an album. It's successful. They've toured, solid fan base, and they get back into the studio two years later the result is Siamese Dream. Siamese Dream is released on July 27, 1993 on the Virgin Records label and it debuts on the Billboard charts at number 10 and receives multi-platinum certification. Corgan and Butch Vig reprise their roles as co-producers. And as the story goes, during the recording sessions for Siamese Dream, they were marred by tension and adversity as Billy Corgan had suffered a nervous breakdown Darcy Retsky and James Iha had recently ended a romantic relationship with each other and Jimmy Chamberlain was battling a heroin addiction. Not to mention the immense pressure to produce a successful album after being dubbed as the next Nirvana. I mean, uh, you know, not exactly the ideal situation to go and try to make an album. Uh, so what they did to try to minimize distractions is they went to Triclops Studios in Marietta, Georgia and recorded Siamese Dream in about four months time. Uh, Siamese Dream spawns four singles, the first one being Cherub Rock, and it's released on July 13, 1993. After Billy Corgan insisted that it become the first single to, to, to be released, but the record company, they actually wanted the single today to be released first. Ultimately, Corgan's wishes were granted However, the song did re receive less praise 
than the song today would after it's released. Anyhow, Chair Rock peaks at number seven on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart and does achieve some critical success. Rolling Stone magazine has since listed the song as the 25th greatest re- guitar track of all time, and it just so happens to be one of my all-time favorite Smashing Pumpkin songs. So that in and of itself carries a lot of weight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, right. The next single released in support of Siamese Dream was the aforementioned song Today, and it's released on September 30th, 1993. And it was this song that really put the Smashing Pumpkins on the map. A very popular song that truly sent the band to the next level. It peaks at number four on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. And it's interesting to note that Corgan wrote today when he was having suicidal thoughts. A stark contrast to the song's rather upbeat sound. It's actually a song with, with some pretty dark lyrics. Still, the song does well critically, generally receiving positive views from various mu- musical publications. And today also wins single of the year for the Canadian weekly newspaper iWeekly. So again, today pushes the band to another level, gaining mainstream notoriety, and it's followed up by the third single, Disarm, on March 22nd, 1994. Hey, 1994, my favorite year. (laughs) Uh, Disarm was met with moderate success and controversy because of its lyric, Cut That Little Child. As some related to the, I'm sorry, related the lyric to abortion. In the the UK, it receives little radio airplay, and in the United States of America, fails to reach the Billboard Hot 100. Although it does peak at number five on the Billboard Mainstream Rock chart, despite the controversy, the video for Disarm receives heavy rotation by MTV, and it actually gets nominated for Best Alternative Video and Best Editing in a Video. This would become their first MTV video nomination. Now, the final single spawned by Siamese Dream is Rocket. Rocket is released in 1994. And I'd like to mention that the B-side to Rocket is actually a cover of Depeche Mode's song, Never Let Me Down Again. The song is recorded at the behest of bassist Darcy Retzky, who is a big Depeche Mode fan. Now, in between releasing their next album, which would be Melancholy and the infinite sadness the band releases the compilation album Pisces Iscariot which contains b-sides and outtakes by the band Pisces Iscariot is received very well commercially as it attains platinum certification in 1994 the same year that it's released and it's all it also peaks at number four on the Billboard 200 so the next album that they release which I just mentioned is Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness on October 24th, 1995. The Smashing Pumpkins released the album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Now, this is after a 13-month-long tour supporting Siamese Dream. Corgan immediately began writing songs for the forthcoming double compact disc album. And back then, you know, I mentioned compact disc. Some of you, some of you youngsters out there may not know what the compact disc is uh, another name for it would be a cd look it up it's uh <laughs> you'll you'll see what i mean so it was actually a, a double compact disc album inspired by the album the beatles self-titled uh 
album by the Beatles, double album, uh, also which was also was a compact disc, a, a double album. Uh, they decided to go on in a different direction and work with producer Alan Mulder and Mark Ellis, aka Flood. Corgan also co-produced the album. The album debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 and sells over 200,000 units in its first week alone. I can tell you that this album was a heavy favorite aboard the USS Nimitz. I mean, we were rocking out to this album. I remember, it, you know, it obviously it was a it was a double CD, and we, I mean, we used to just play it over and over and over again in our workspace there. And it was, it was a we, it was a, obviously we were just we just loved it. Anyways, the the album achieves diamond status, which of course is over 10 million units sold in the good old US of A. This band truly cleans house with this album. I mean, it's praised critically, commercially, including Time Magazine calling it, quote, the group's most ambitious and accomplished work yet, unquote. And at the 1997 Grammy Awards, Melancholy also gets nominated in seven different categories, including Album of the Year, Record of the Year for the song 1979, Best Alternative Music Performance, and Best Music Video, just to name a few of the categories. They end up winning one Grammy for Best Hard Rock Performance for the song Bullet with Butterfly Wings. It was their first Grammy Award. Additionally, Rolling Stone names it number 487 on its top 500 list of greatest albums of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. Now, I want to get into the singles that were spawned by the album. The first single... That was released was uh, the one I just mentioned, "Bullet with Butterfly Wings." And in addition to winning the Grammy, the song also peaks at number 22 on the Billboard Hot 100, and VH1 names it the 91st best hard rock song of all time. The single also becomes Canada's number one song of the year. Needless to say, "Bullet with Butterfly Wings" becomes very successful, and it, it, it really set the tone for the rest of the album. Um, the single is followed by the song 1979, which is released in January of 1996. So what does the song 1979 do? Oh, it only peaks at number one on the Billboard Mainstream Rock chart and number one on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. It also attains gold certification by the RIAA. And I mean, 1979 becomes a smash hit. It's written by Corgan as a coming-of-age story in which the year 1979, he was 12 years old and the age he considers his transition into adolescence. The single is also critically successful as well as with the fans. I mean, everybody loved it. It wins an MTV Music Award for Best Alternative Video and nominated for several, uh, several Grammy Awards. Moving on from 1979... The band releases its next single from a melancholy called Zero. Now Zero peaks at number nine on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. And Zero is unique in that it's released as an EP. I mean, unusual for most singles in the industry, right? You don't see that too often. The B-side actually contains a 23-minute medley of unreleased snippets of songs. The medley is actually called Pistachio. And the video for um for it is directed by Yelena Yemchuk. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's actually Billy Corgan's girlfriend at the time. 
And following the single Zero is the single Tonight Tonight. The song is released on June 11th, 1996, and it peaks at number four on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Chart. The single is met with critical acclaim as the publication All Music states that the song has, quote, an emotional punch, unquote. Tonight Tonight also wins six awards at the MTV Music Awards in 1996, including Video of the Year, Breakthrough Video of the Year, Best Direction in a Video, and Best Cinematography. So as you can tell, you chalk up another home run single for the Smashing Pumpkins and their album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Now the final single that was released uh, in no- November of 1996 was the song 33, peaking at number 39 on the Billboard 100, and uh, Hot 100 that is, and at number 2 on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks. The B-side actually contains a song called The Last Song featuring a guitar solo by Billy Corgan's father, Billy Corgan Sr. Uh, so as you can tell, Melancholy, I mean, this album this album gains the band uncanny success. I mean, it propels them into what some would call legendary status. And I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, after this album, they pre- pretty much do, they do become legends in their own right. Huge album, right? It's just huge. Uh, The fourth and final album that the Smashing Pumpkins would put out in the decade of the 90s is called The Door. But before that, they recorded a song called The Beginning is the End is the Beginning for the movie Batman and Robin in April of 1997. It's also their first release with new drummer Matt Walker. Um, Jimmy Chamberlain had departed from the band at this point. The single also wins them a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance. The video also lends them several nominations for an MTV Music Award, including Best Direction in a Video and Best Cinematography in a Video. And uh, with the release of the single, the anticipation for the next album was now very palpable. So everybody was just chomping at the bit, getting ready for their next album. And uh, with that, Adore was released on June 2nd, 1998, after having had enormous success with melancholy and the infinite sadness sadness excuse me adora was one of the highest like i just said you know they're, they're one of the highest anticipated albums of that year 1998 in the music industry and the album is uh, co-produced once again by corgan and flood and this time a gentleman by the name of brad wood so they went for a totally different sound with this album. I mean, Rolling Stone magazine even called it, quote, a complete break from the past. And if you listen to the album, I mean, it is a stark contrast to their previous work. You can totally tell. It's very, very obvious, very, very evident. And that, I mean, this could be attributed to the fact that the band was going through through some challenges at the time. And drummer Jimmy, the drummer Jimmy uh, Chamberlain had left the band and Billy Corgan was going through a, a divorce while recording the album. Still Adore peaks at number two on the Billboard 200 and it goes platinum about five weeks later. Critically, the album is received very well as it becomes the band's third straight album with a Grammy Award nomination for the best alternative music performance. The album spawns two commercial singles, the first being Ava Adore released on May 18, 1998. It peaks at number three on the Billboard Alternative Songs 
chart, followed by the re- release of Perfect on September 7th, 1998. And it peaks at number three on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. And critically, Ava Adore receives positive reviews. Rolling Stone mu- uh, Magazine stating, quote, an irresistible slice of candy-coated pop, unquote. So, moving forward, and, and since the year 2000, you know, Smashing Pumpkins, they've, they've had, uh, they continue to record albums. They've had seven releases since then. They've also seen multiple lineup change, changes. Um, James Iha left and came back, as well as Jimmy Chamberlain going and coming back. And with all that being said, their current lineup is exactly the way it was when they were formed, with the exception of Darcy uh, Retzky. And she's no longer with the band. Uh, she departed in 1999. Jeff Schrader, or I don't, know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. Jeff Schroeder or Jeff Schrader currently holds that post. So, And to date, they've won an American Music Award, two Grammys, and two MTV Video Music Awards. I mean, hugely successful, obviously, right? I mean, one of the greatest, not only alternative rock bands of all time, but bands of all time, period. Hall of Famers, without a doubt. The Smashing Pumpkins, I mean, they continue to rock. And, I mean, they're doing their thing still. And But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for Smashing Pumpkins. I want to thank you for listening. But before I go... There's a few things I need to mention. Number one, hit me up on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. Please hit me up on Twitter at YDNAFLO90. Again, that's YDNAF as in Flores, LO90. I mean, I, w- I want to know how much you guys, listeners, enjoy the show. Say what's up. Make a request for us to cover your favorite 90s solo artist or band. Make that request. Um, tell me what the weather's going to be like the next day. Just hit me up, will you? And don't be a stranger. Don't be strangers. Uh, we want to hear from you listeners. And secondly, leave me a review on Apple podcasts for this or any other nineties galore episode. I mean, we truly appreciate this ladies and gentlemen. Um, so please do that. And lastly, uh, I want to give some shout outs to some of the, some of you listeners out there that have really been, um, chiming in and communicating and, and uh with me on on twitter um that's jimmy in costa rica thanks for tuning in my man and uh joaquin in marietta california keep on rocking bro <laughs> uh, and last but not least i want to say happy birthday to my beautiful niece avani in ranch cucamonga i love you very much sweetheart So, once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your continued support. I'm so honored and grateful. It's been such an intriguing ride tonight, profiling the Smashing Pumpkins. And tune in next week for a brand new episode of the 90s Galore podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Andy Zaldivar, signing off. So take it easy.